0: Good afternoon and welcome to my weekly parashashir. It's a pleasure to have you with me. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by Maggie and Michael Bayer. In memory of Maggie's mother, Bella Magenheim, Bela Bas Shmuel, Aloha Shalom, whose yard site is on the 22nd of Teves. May her neshama have an aliyah. And may we all be zeicher to see Tachias HaMesim. We're going to talk about a Kalva today. It's one of the most famous Kalva in all of Jewish tradition. Because it's mentioned in Rashi and it's in the Torah. Do you know what a kalvachaymer is? I'll tell you. A kalvachaymer is a form of logical argument, and the Greeks called it a fortiori. The idea is that if something is a certainty in a weaker situation, then in a stronger situation, um, sorry, if something is a certainty in a strong situation, then in a weaker situation, it is absolutely certain. Kalva Choymer, in, in, in a sense, what you have with a Kalva is a logical proof from the fact that something is there. And what we're going to see that if, in the case of the Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people who were enslaved in Egypt, if it's the case that these, as uh, you're going to see, I'm going to read it in a minute in my grandfather's for they are maminim Bene maminim. If they are believers in Hashem, but they don't take Moshe Rabbeinu seriously, then why should it be that Paroi, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who's an atheist, who doesn't believe in God, he's a pagan, he's an oved Avoidazara, why should he believe in God? And says Rashi, I'm going to read you Rashi. Rashi says, Ze echod mi Asora. This Kalvachomer that is mentioned here in the Pasuk, I'll read you the Pasuk in a moment, this is one of the ten times that we see the idea of a Kalvachomer in the Torah, where this form of evidentiary proof is used to make a point. The Pasuk is as follows, (laughs) Moshe is a little bit upset because God is asking him to once again charge into Pharaoh's palace, and to tell Pharaoh, to tell Parah, that he should let the Jewish people go. Let my people go, he is meant to say to Parah. And he's puzzled that Hashem should ask him to do such a thing, because as he says, b'nei The Jewish people don't listen to me. They take no notice of me, they ignore me, they feel that my intervention here has been a complete and utter waste of time. The Parah. In which case, how would Parai listen to what I've got to say? If the Jewish people i have come to save them, I am their savior. If they have one hope here of salvation and redemption, it is me, it's Moshe. And yet whenever I talk to them, they tell me, go away, you're just making things worse. We don't have anything to do with you, clear off. If that's what they say to me, what do you think Parai is going to say to me? How exactly do you think that Parai is going to respond differently? Why would he have a positive attitude towards me? if the jewish people themselves refuse to heed anything that i tell them or to feel that i have any uh, way of redeeming them or of relieving their difficulties and resolving their situation that was the Kalva chimer that is presented to us here in the torah in this Posuk, that moshe rabbeinu argued before god and rashi informs us that this is one of the ten times in the torah where this form of argument is used to make a point to prove a point so that's what a kalvah is that it's a big problem because if you've ever studied Gemara, if you've studied talmud you'll know that there is the concept of a pircha what's a pircha a pircha is a question that you can use to undermine a logical proof so if I come to you with a logical argument that in and of itself stands up, uh, you know, you can, you can suggest that because every car I have ever seen is red, that all cars must be red. It's a good argument. I've never seen a green car, and therefore every, every car that I've seen is red. It must be that all cars are red. Then I'm going to show you, somebody's going to show me a picture of a green car. That's called a Pircha. You just suggested that all cars must be red because your experience is that all cars are red. But here's a picture of a green car. So it's a Pircha. It totally undermines your theory. What we're going to see here is with this kalvachimer that Moshe Rabbeinu presented to Hashem, that it makes absolutely no sense because there is a Pircha. This is taken from my grandfather Sefer, Mikdash HaLevi. The new edition just came out, the sixth edition. I don't know if it's available where you are, but if it is... I highly recommend that you obtain a copy, Mikdash HaLevi and uh, you will enjoy it. So many wonderful divrei Torah, and we're going to look at two sections in this week's um, in this week's uh, uh, commentaries from my grandfather Sefer, both of which address this kalvachemer, this exact point of the kalvachemer that Moshe Rabbeinu presented before Hashem um, in anticipation of God's uh, instruction that he visit Parah in the palace and plead with him that the Jewish people be freed. We find in Moshe Rabbeinu's words, that somehow we can conclude matters, or we can we can derive certain situations, we can know something as on the basis of this argument. But pashtus, and let's look at it simply. We understand, we understand, if we were to look at the Kavah I have not really gone into it in any depth, but if we were to present um, a, a, a picture, a simplified picture of what it is that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, it would be as follows. Im bene Yisrael Maminim b'nei Maminim. If we are to understand that Israel, the Jewish people, the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are believers, Descended from believers. In other words, they are people of utter and complete faith. And, lo'ishamu elai, says Moshe Rabbeinu, and those are the people who are not listening to me, who take no notice of me whatsoever. E ishmaelai pare harasha. How would you even suggest or believe that pare, a wicked man, who has absolutely no connection with faith in God, would ever take me seriously? I am a representative of God. If the people who believe in God don't believe in me, how would it be that somebody who doesn't believe in God would believe in me? That's the Kalva Chomer in its simplest understanding, and in, in the way that we can really understand it, and it seems to be, as we might say, Pshat in the Posuk. Says my grandfather, Ulam, Im If this indeed was the intent of Moses when he presented his argument before God, haresha Shah Enamavusas. The fact is that this Calvah has no basis, it has absolutely no foundation. You can undermine it in the easiest possible way. How? We can find a Pircha that undermines this Calvah in the easiest way. What is the reason that the Jewish people didn't listen to Moshe? Did they not re- listen to him because they didn't have faith? No, that's not the reason. Why didn't they listen to Moshe Rabbeinu? Very simple, because if we look at the previous chapter, the end of the previous chapter, the end of Mavur Baposuk, it's presented to us in absolute clarity as to why it was the Jewish people didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Do you know why they didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu? Because they were totally dispirited and because they were working very hard. They were not in the mood for Moshe Rabbeinu's talk of redemption and liberation, nor did they have the time to give him, to even listen to anything that he had to say, because they were working very, very hard. They were completely absorbed in their own situation. It wasn't because they didn't have faith. Maybe they had faith. Maybe they would believe in him if they would have had half a chance to take him seriously. But they couldn't take him seriously because they were depressed and because they were overworked. That's what the Pasuk says. Koloma the reason why the jewish people didn't listen to moses was because of kitesh ruach and before the because of the very difficult labor that they were engaged in that didn't give them a chance to even breathe or to have any other thoughts as to what might happen in their situation they didn't refuse to listen to Moshe. That's the way my grandfather presents it. Beautiful. They didn't refuse. They didn't reject him. They couldn't possibly listen. They had no opportunity to listen. They didn't listen and say, you're talking nonsense. They didn't even get the chance to get to first base with Moshe Rabbeinu. Ba'asher asukim ho'ye because they were too engaged in the difficulties of their day-to-day lives as slaves in Egypt, that's why they didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Imke, if that's the case, there's absolutely no way we can create a comparison, a common denominator, which is of course crucial for a kal v'khaime. There has to be a common denominator for the kal to to to. Create the platform for the Chimer. If you have no kal, you have no Chimer. If there's no common denominator, then there's no kal v'chaymer. The common denominator creates the possibility of this logical deduction. But if the if the common denominator doesn't exist, then the kal cannot exist. It must pre-exist as a common denominator for the kal to make any sense. But here it doesn't exist because Parai, Hamelech, the king. Because you know what, Parai, he's free man. He has no, nothing preventing him from listening to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's no reason for him to, to uh, uh, be distracted. He's a free man. He has a meeting with Moshe Rabbeinu and he doesn't have to work hard, he's not dispirited, he's a happy-go-lucky individual who's the king of Egypt and considered to be the deity, the god of the Egyptian empire and here this man is standing in front of him, he can consider anything he's got to say in the freedom of the environment in which he exists so the reason why the Jewish people didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu is because they were enslaved Moshe, well, Pareh is not enslaved, so when Moshe speaks to Pare, he should be able to listen if you are going to suggest that the reason why Pare wouldn't listen, the basis for why Pare might not listen, is because the Jewish people didn't listen, that doesn't make any sense. That has no foundation, it has no basis because there's no common denominator. In which case, if that's not the situation, if that's not why there is a common denominator between the two of them, it can't be that that's what Moshe Rabbeinu meant. So the Kalvachemer has to be something else. So my grandfather dismisses the idea that the Kalvachemer is on the basis of people of faith not listening and therefore Paro didn't listen. It must be another reason. So let's take a further look at what he says. And therefore, it would be appropriate to consider the following. That the intent of Moshe Rabbeinu in presenting this Kavu was entirely different. And we can understand what it is that Moshe Rabbeinu meant, if we have a concept, and for that we need a broader understanding, of the direction that Moshe took in everything that he did throughout the life of his leadership. We don't know much about Moshe Rabbeinu, or we do, we're going to see we know a little bit about him from before, but in terms of how he conducted himself in the little bit that we know about him from before he ran away to Midian, and in his conduct throughout his life as a leader of the Jewish people, we will be able to now um, reverse that uh, character his unique characteristics as a leader into this Kalva and draw a conclusion as to what it is that he must have meant when he presented that argument that logical argument to hashem as to why he shouldn't go into Yomim. we find that when moshe rabbeinu was very young he was not yet a leader he was still living in the palace Pare HaMelech, what did he do? He was living, he was, he was living it up. He was an aristocrat. He was a crown prince, or whatever you want to call him, living in the palace of Pharaoh, living in the lap of luxury. estagosoi hamufleges le'echov b'nei Yisrael. Do you know what? There was one thing that was uppermost in his mind, even at that time in his life, and that was the terrible, dire situation that his brothers, the Jewish people, were suffering under the yoke of Pharaoh's um, uh, imposition of slavery onto them. And you know what? Everything he did, everything that we know about him from that period in his life, we don't know much. But the little bit that we know, we can see that he was willing to give up everything for their benefit and to to make, ensure that their situation was alleviated. He hit and killed a Mitri for having raised his hand and for beating a Jewish slave. That's how far he was willing to go. I don't know how easy it would be for any of us. Whatever you're going to say, if you think to yourself, would I really step forward in a situation like that? Have a privilege, am, and take the side of an underdog, if I didn't need to, and if in any event that um, past taskmaster, whoever it was that was beating the Jewish slave, had every right to do so. Would I do what Moshe Rabbeinu did? But Moshe Rabbeinu did it, and he didn't have to do it. He grew up in the palace. He was a privileged individual. And yet he stepped forward, took a risk, and he killed the Mitzri that was harming the Jew. And when he saw two Jews fighting at each other's throats, logeshes he immediately got in there and tried to break up the fight he wanted to relieve the tension between the two so that they got on and they were at peace this was a person whose uppermost concern was for the welfare of his brethren for the Jewish people even taking massive risks it was such a risk that in fact he needed to run away from tribe and he was away from Egypt for decades that's who Moshe Rabbeinu was Me'atah and therefore, here too, if we're to understand this kalva we really need to see it through the prism, through these glasses of Moshe Rabbeinu as somebody who cared for the Jewish people. It must be that when he presented this argument to Hashem, when he advocated this kalva Chomer, as the reason why he shouldn't go into paray what was uppermost in his mind what was foremost in his mind i'll tell you what was foremost in his mind was he wanted for the good of the jewish people that was his primary directive that was his primary motivation in everything that he did and here we have a newly formulated Calvah or pre- presentation of the argument that he put before Hashem, through the prism of this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu cared about the welfare of the Jewish people. Rabbi says Moshe Rabbeinu to God, Eich How is he going to look? If Parah hears your words, while the Jewish people don't listen. How is it going to appear? What's it going to look like? What's the impression that this is going to leave? What, how does it look from a public relations standpoint? If I go into Paray and Paray says, you know what, God says, let the Jewish people go and I'm going to let them go. Meanwhile, I told the Jewish people only a few hours ago that God is going to let you go. And they said, don't talk to us, leave us alone. Beautiful how it's put together. If you look at the posuk again, the posuk says, <laughs> The Jewish people didn't listen to me. <laughs> how is it going to look if Paray does listen to me? How is it going to appear? What is the PR story going to be? What is the press going to say? How is it going to look on social media if Parai takes notice of the Jewish people? And the Jewish people, sorry, if Pari takes notice of God and the Jewish people take no notice of God. <speaking in Hebrew> the only thing that can emerge out of this is that the Jewish people are going to look bad and they're going to suffer as a result of a kach ani And this is what I don't want. This is what I don't desire. I am a a leader of the Jewish people. My one concern is for the benefit and for the welfare of the Jewish people. I will not step inside the palace and say something which could somehow rebound, could bounce back and cause damage and cause harm and cause, um, you know, ill-feeling or negative impression of the people about whom I care so, so much. An incredible idea. This is, It's an unbelievable idea because it really presents Moshe Rabbeinu as who he was. It gives us an early look at Moshe Rabbeinu in his interactions with Hashem, which he had many times later. Don't forget, he advocated on behalf of the Jewish people on countless occasions. Time after time, he was there to advocate for the Jewish people. And you're going to see that my grandfather in his safe is going to choose a particular incident in the history of moshe rabbeinu's leadership that it doesn't spring to mind you might think okay of course i'll tell you where he's going to he's going to go he's going to go to the masa ega where moshe rabbeinu uh, argued with hashem for days that he shouldn't kill the jewish people uh, and he says erase me from your torah i don't want to be in a torah of a god that kills the jewish people for this Even though it seems to be an egregious sin, I still don't want to be involved with a God or with a Torah that contains such a story of this wanton destruction, etc, etc. Time after time, Moshe Rabbeinu pleads for the Jewish people and is reluctant to take them to task, always thinking to himself, how can I come out of this situation where the Jewish people are not going to have... Um, got the lower hand but they will somehow have the upper hand the omnon, but that's not, what he, that's not what my grandfather, that's not the type of story my grandfather brings <speaking in Hebrew> if you're going to look at the, how it continued in terms of the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu <speaking in Hebrew> this idea this concept of him trying to be an advocate, a proponent, a uh, friend of the Jewish people, even in dire circumstances, even when there was no real reason to do it, that he nevertheless was always on the lookout to make sure that the Jewish people aren't going to suffer as a result of something he did, and generally as a result of them being the Jewish people who are the chosen people of God. Had <speaking> Ogas a concern, and um, in the Yiddish, the word is ibbergegebenkeit. He was completely given over. His whole character and everything about what he did was always completely consumed by this idea. How will it benefit the Jewish people? There was no selfishness in him. He was completely selfless in his leadership of the Jewish people. Le man for the dignity, v'teivasam. And for a good outcome, I would say, shall of the Jewish people. Gam chetoi hayodua. And here's the story that my grandfather quotes, which does not is not the one that would spring to mind. What is it? The sin of Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu sin? There's one recorded case in the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu sinning, of doing something wrong, of transgressing a direct command of God. me meriva, when he at the end of the 40 years his sister dies and there's no longer the meh Mariva, there's no longer the water that comes out of the wellspring that was, we call it the Be'er Miriam some type of rock and there's different interpretations as to what that rock was and the uh, talks about, it, and the Mephorashim talk about it, it's not important but that rock dried up and there was no longer any water and the people were thirsty and they came to Mosh they complained and he went to Hashem, Hashem said find a rock and speak to the rock and the water will come out he went and he hit the rock that's the, uh, the main pshat that we go with it's the pshat that's quoted by Rashi and he hit the rock and the water came out as a result of which he was informed he cannot go into Eretz why did he hit the rock? that's, that's, you know, that's a topic that we don't often uh, discuss and we don't often delve into but it's important to know he did something wrong why did he do something wrong? why did he go there? my grandfather offers a beautiful pshat and a inf- beautiful interpretation as to why it was that Moshe Rabbeinu did what he did and it's it, it joins back together with this story of um, Eich Yishma'eni Parai um, how is Parai going to listen to me if the Jewish people don't listen to me that means there is a line that connects his entire leadership career from the very first moment until the very end here's his first interaction with God as a leader of the Jewish people. And there it's it's kind of the last time, it's not quite the last time, but it's the last moments of his leadership before he dies and before the leadership is handed over to Yahushua, to Joshua and the Jewish people going to the Promised Land. So what is it that ties these two stories together? An explanation as to why he did what he did, why he hit the rock and didn't speak to the rock. As a result of the sin of Mei Mariva, he was prevented; he was forbidden from going into Eretz This whole thing comes from the same characteristic of Moshe Rabbeinu. The reason he did what he did is boils down to the same thing. You know what, when Moshe Rabbeinu was told by God, speak to the rock, speak to the rock, and then the rock will give forth its water. (laughs) Moshe Rabbeinu reflected for a moment. How is this, this fact that he's going to speak to the rock, and the rock is going to listen to what Hashem has instructed the rock to do? He's going to say to the rock, give forth water. And the rock is going to allow the water to come out of it. He's going to follow the instruction of Hashem. Suddenly, it's going to open up a whole new angle of criticism against the Jewish people. Because they didn't always listen to what God told them to do. They didn't always take seriously that which God had instructed them to do. And sometimes they ignored it and sometimes they rebelled against it. The rock, instruction, listens. The Jewish people, instruction, sometimes listen, sometimes doesn't listen, sometimes rebels. So Moshe Rabbeinu realized that this isn't going to look good. The image here is no good. Remember what we said about Pare. How's it going to look if Paray listens and the Jewish people doesn't listen? It's not going to look good for the Jewish people. And Moshe Rabbeinu is the great Jewish people advocate. Here again, he's the great Jewish people advocate. They're thirsty. He goes to talk to the rock. The rock listens immediately. And suddenly it's going to open up a Pandora's box of problems for the Jewish people who don't always listen directly to what God says to them. Lefichoch, therefore. Moshe Rabbeinu hichlit al Das atzmoy Lahakois es As a result of which Moshe Rabbeinu came up with a very good plan, a good strategy. Instead of speaking to the rock, he was going to hit the rock, kind of force the rock's hand. Kasher l'kach who mer akvotom shel Yisrael Because he hits the rock, it kind of indicates the rock might have been reluctant, might not have been reluctant, it's going to give forth the water, but as a result of that, the dignity of the Jewish people will have been protected. Bekach because the only, what we're going to see here, the end result is that the, uh, the rock will only have given forth the water after it had been hit, not before. Ein kol therefore there's nothing to be used in evidence against the Jewish people that they don't listen and yet the rock does. Because sometimes the Jewish people needed to have their hand forced and sometimes not, like the rock. So they would be equal to the rock instead of the rock showing them up. Like Parai. Parei might have shown up the Jewish people and that wouldn't have been good for them. And here too, the rock might have shown up the Jewish people, might have demonstrated that they're not so perfect. And therefore once the rock is hit no different than the jewish people sometimes the jewish people listen when they're not hit and sometimes the jewish people listen when they suffer here the rock listened when it suffered would it have listened when it didn't suffer it doesn't matter anymore too late that didn't happen and therefore the rock can cannot be used as uh, evidence against the jewish people as th- at their weakness in the face of the rock's strength kasha heim loku because when the Jewish people go through difficulties and suffering, of course they listen to everything that Hashem wants them to do. And this khashash, this uh, concern of Moshe Rabbeinu, is very similar to the, the same concern was what bothered Jonah. The prophet Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? That God comes to Jonah and says, Go and tell Ninveh to do Teshuvah. Ninveh is not a Jewish city. And Jonah ran away. He got swallowed by the whale and he was regurgitated. And eventually, whatever happened, happened. He went to Ninveh and Ninveh did Teshuvah. But why wouldn't he have gone to Ninveh in the first place? Why wouldn't he have simply followed God's instruction to tell Ninveh to do Teshuvah? what is it that forced him to in another direction prevented him from doing that which he had been instructed to do to go to nineveh and instead he went to tarshish and ran away and wanted to do everything else of course the story didn't work out that way but what was it that prompted him to not do that which God had instructed him to do. He was very similar. In this respect, he was very similar to Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't know much about Jonah. We, all we know about him really is this story. But he seems to have had a similar character. A similar personality to Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, the fact uh, um, the, that they take seriously and immediately... Uh, a take on board that which he told them on behalf of God what, what's it going to do? Alul Lehavois, <inaudible> category Abenei Shol would come back and haunt the Jewish people in terms of the fact that they don't always do Teshuvah when of course they don't, we've seen it so many times in the Nevi'im that the Nevi'im come and they tell the Jewish people to do Teshuvah and they don't listen and here, Jonah goes and tells Nineveh, the Bnei Nineveh, once, on one occasion, do truva they do truva How's he going to look for the Jewish people? The Jewish people are going to suffer terribly as a result because it will reflect so badly on them. Mikahu bikesh, mechir. In any possible way that he could, he wanted to prevent himself from falling into the trap of telling Nineveh what to do. And then Nineveh would listen because it would look back uh, and would look so bad on the Jewish people. That's the first piece, in my, it's actually the second one about the Ka'v HaKoymeh, I did it first, but if you turn back a couple of pages um, in your source sheet, which is of course, uh, of course, you can find the source sheet, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's, a, it's uh, in the description itself, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, uh, it can be seen as a comment on the share. And on my website, it's at the bottom of the description, in fact, you can just print it out and you can look through the source sheet as I'm saying the shir, or you can print it out and you can, you can use it as backup when you repeat these divrei Torah at your Shabbos table or wherever you're going to say them. But let's look now at the second piece that my grandfather includes in his Sefer regarding this rather unusual kalvah choymer, this fortiori of hein uh, pare. Um, that the Jewish people never listen to me, how will Paray listen to me as to what it's talk about. Before we actually explain the Kalvuchomer itself, my grandfather says, Let's first introduce it with a short introduction. We find that after Moshe and Aaron went to Pharaoh, in order to... Um, speak up on behalf of the Jewish people, that he should send the Jewish people, he should release them from their slavery, dispatch them from Egypt, let them go. Not only did he refuse to take on board anything that they had suggested as far as letting the Jewish people go, Do you know what he did? He made the burden on the Jewish people even heavier, even worse. He established a much harder regime, a much harsher regime of slavery for the Jewish people. So not only didn't they achieve their objective, which was to get the Jewish people redeemed from slavery, they actually made it much worse for the Jewish people. And in fact, we find the Psukim. It's very clear it's very explicit that there were those among the Jewish people who were angry and complained about it in fact not even the, not just the Jewish people there are we can understand that they're upset because they're the ones who had to bear the brunt of the increase. Uh, in the difficulties that were associated with them having to build Pissam and Ramses. Now they had to produce the bricks without the straw. And they were, there was a much harsher regime imposed on them as a result of the of Moshe Rabbeinu visiting Pare. But they were very angry. OK, we can kind of understand that they complained. But you know what? Even Moshe Rabbeinu compla- complained. He was, he, he was astounded by what happened. Confusionema as it says in the pasuk. If you look... Um, as follows, And Moshe returned to God and he said, Why have you made it worse for the Jewish people? Why did you send me? The, from the moment I set foot in Pharaoh's palace to speak up on their behalf, it's just made it worse for them, for this nation. You have not, in any way, redeemed or saved your people. What's going on here? So, by way of introduction to understanding the Kalva Chaimer, what my grandfather is doing is offering us a backdrop. What's the backdrop? God appears in the burning bush in Midian, and actually, it wasn't in Midian; it was in Hachoyev, It was in Har Sinai. That's where Moshe Rabbeinu was taking the sheep for pasture, and and he argues with Hashem for three days. And God tells him, you're the one who's going to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. You know what? He eventually agrees and he gets to Egypt and he sets himself up there and he makes an appointment with Para. and he thinks, him, no, God sent me and everything's going to be okay. Listen, I didn't really want to do it. Somebody else could have done it. But if I'm the one who's been chosen, I'll do what I'm asked to do. And he gets to the palace. He's shown into the throne room and Parah is sitting there on his uh, magisterial throne. And Moshe Rabbeinu says let my people go And he says I'm not letting them go And I'm going to make things worse Really? This is why you schlepped me from Midian With my wife and children They almost died I almost died And they had to save me This is what you wanted from me That I should stand in front of power And he rejects my demands You're the one who put me here That's what you brought me here to do So that I should waste my time and make things worse for the Jewish people? That's That was your intention, God? What's going on here? Says my grandfather in his Sefer. We really need to understand this. Why would God have created all these circumstances? That specifically at the time when it seems that the redemption is almost upon us, that at, just at that moment, at the moment, the key moment when the redemption is about to begin, that's when Pare makes things so much worse. Why didn't God just allow them to go out immediately? Hey, you want to punish the Egyptians? Punish them afterwards. Moshe Rabbeinu's here, he's your messenger, he's your emissary. He's your representative. He's here to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt. He goes into the palace. He says to Pari, let my people go. Paris signs on the dotted line. And the next morning, they take the flight to Israel from Cairo airport. What's going on? Why would God have created all these circumstances and just make things worse? The nearer. And therefore it would appear. That in order for the Jewish people, to be redeemed from slavery in Egypt. From the Shibud, the physical, material Shibud, slavery, of being a slave, as much as from the Shibud HaRuchni, from the slavery or the enslavement of the soul that was going on in Egypt, do you know how that was going to happen there had to be an absolute clarity it had to be unequivocal that not one person could say that the reason why the jewish people were redeemed from slavery was because of some fantastic military strategy, some diplomatic breakthrough, some brilliant manoeuvre, some reason why human involvement had precipitated this incredible redemption from Egyptian slavery. That was an unacceptable outcome. It had to be from, and we know this to be the case because Smiths Mitzrayim is considered to be a, uh, a recreation of the original creation. We have creation at the beginning of time, And we have it's called Yeshme'ain, that something came out of nothing. And the same thing is true for the formation of the Jewish people. It had to be Yeshme'ain, that something came from nothing, when there was utter hopelessness, when there was absolutely no way that redemption could ever happen. That's when it was going to happen. And that seems to be the message here. (laughs) There had to be a redemption that would come after everyone had given up any hope of there ever being a solution and salvation. There's no possibility. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen by God. He stood in front of Parai. He's God's representative. He asked Parai to let us go. And Parai said, no. If that's what happened, there's absolutely no way we are ever going to be set free. It's only after the Jewish people had completely given up hope from ever being redeemed via... A messenger. What do we say, Pesach, in the Haggadah? Who redeemed us from slavery? It was HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ani v'loi Malach. Ani v'loi saraf. Ani Shliach. Ani hu acher. That's what we say on Pesach night. It's a moment of ultimate emuna. It has to be. It has to be totally sublime, unblemished. It has to be without any interference, without any background noise, without any razzmatazz, no marching bands. It has to be God pure and simple. No other excuse or reason could be given as to why the Jewish people were let out of slavery. And that's how it had to happen. From a state of complete despair the jewish people were redeemed from slavery in egypt yesh me something out of nothing there was no possibility for salvation for redemption and yet they were saved and they were redeemed god Created circumstances exactly like that. That after that, somehow a hope had emerged in the hearts of the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu comes and he says, Hi, I'm back. I'm here to lead you out of Egypt. So, oh, there's some, whatever little hope that was possible to have in those circumstances they had. Or maybe, you never know. He once lived in the palace. Pare quite likes him. Maybe, we're not sure. I mean, if there is a chance, maybe he's the one to do it. Somehow they were ready to believe in him. However little they believed in him, they were ready to believe in him. you know what happened then? God says, right, you believe in Moshe Rabbeinu? Now let me tell you, your great white knight in shining armor that you think has the possibility of getting you redeemed. He has no chance whatsoever. He's going to go into the palace, which is what he did. He goes in there and he says, let my people go. And Paris says, no, I'm not letting them go. Now clear off, go away. I never want to see you again. It's going to kill off any hope that the Jewish people ever may have had, that there was a solution to their problem and that there was salvation on the horizon. Absolutely not. As a result of which... They, they, were, they descended into complete and utter despair. <laughs> they suddenly understood that Moshe Rabbeinu, who they believed in, who they had some sense of faith in, He cannot redeem them. He, he can't do it. He's a boss of Adam. He's a man. He's a human being. <laughs> you know, in order for them to get out of Egypt, Nidrash, neis mamoshiu They need an absolute nace, a miracle that cannot be described in any other way, that cannot be some kind of accident that just happened to happen and they were lucky and it was muzzle and it was fate and nothing. Hashem is redeeming them from Egypt. That had to be clear to them as day is instead of night. Kais. Now, the Jewish people have reached this stage of complete and utter despair. Now they realize, nobody, there's no next person who can do it. There's no one but Hashem who can actually set them free. Now, the time was right. The time was ripe. For them to be redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Now is the moment when all the great nisim, and we see them with the ten plagues, and of course, this week's Parsha Va'ira is full of, of plagues. There's seven of them in parsha Va'ira, there's three in parsha boy, and then Beshalach we have the splitting of the Red Sea and all the miracles that are associated with that incredible moment. All these unbelievable miracles could now happen because the jewish people were ready for it, because they were starting from zero now was the moment when they could, um, ben Parai was going to completely disintegrate everything was going to go wrong with him and you know what's going to happen He's going to redeem them from slavery. He's going to create the possibility. He's going to send them. He, the Parai, who said, "I'm never letting them go." He's the one that's going to let them go, and he's going to let them out of Egypt. And they are going to get into a Cherusalim, into an everlasting freedom. There's going to be an ever. That's it. That's what we have. Whatever gollus we have, it's never going to be like gollus midrshaim. We may be in a gollus that we don't have Yerushalayim, Ir We don't have the Beis Hamikdash, but we have this fierce identity of the jewish people of of the jewish faith that has never left us from that moment it's a yesh me'ayin. it was created with yetzias mitzrayim nim tzayfei ki pare That with this final gzeira this is the last time Pare, this is the last hurrah for Pare, the last opportunity he had to behave in the way that he did where he took the level of slavery of of the Shibud that they had to endure to the to the nth degree to the ultimate level as a result of which the Bnei Yisrael gave up completely from ever believing that they could be set free they didn't believe that it was possible for them to be redeemed now we can understand the Kalvachime remember the Kalvachime the Kalvachime is the Jewish people didn't listen to me the Eichi pare. how's Pare going to listen to me right that's the, that's the Kalvachime which Rashi says is one of the 10 Kalvachimes in the Torah in Bnei Yisrael if the Jewish people That their natural ability, their natural tchuna, their character, the national character of the Jewish people is to want freedom, to want to believe in freedom. That is what they are. If they have reached the stage this people of faith this people who believe in hashem who believe that they can be redeemed they believe that they can be freed if they've reached a state of mind where they have absolutely no faith in their future no belief that they can ever be redeemed and this is because the of paray, the decree of parai that he made the slavery even worse for them al how much more so Para Harosha, para the evil one, whose whole purpose in life was to make them give up, and to get them to completely forget about, to uh, totally abandon any hope of a future liberation, salvation, and redemption. He will certainly not believe if I tell him that God is going to redeem the Jewish people. The people who are meant to believe in it don't believe in it. And the reason they don't believe in it is because the Xerah of Par has made it so bad. But the whole reason that Xerah exists is because Parah is the one that did it. Now he made that because he wants to demonstrate that human beings are the ones who have power over other human beings. And God has, nothing, has no role here. And they bought into that, even though they have faith in Hashem. They bought into the idea that they're never going to be redeemed from slavery. And if the one who's goyrem, this gzeira, he's the one who created the situation where people of faith no longer have faith. Why? Because he doesn't have faith. And I'm now going to tell him. But you should know what God is going to set the Jewish people free. Really? He's going to believe it? Echishmaini <laughs> paroi. He's never going to let the Jewish people come out of egypt yes Kane. Okay. and even more than this the jewish people do believe in miracles even if, if for a short period of time they are somehow they've given up hope they've abandoned all hope of an ultimate redemption but it doesn't mean that they've given up on the idea of miracles they do believe in miracles but i mean the fact is that somewhere deep in the depths of their heart they do believe that a miracle can happen and it might result in their redemption from slavery when god somehow does whatever it is it could be it's not going to happen with Moshe Rabbeinu, it could be it's not going to happen with Aaron but if god somehow would would um, come forward and do the Nisim that can be done of course the redemption can happen the jewish people does believe that pari is not that he doesn't even believe in Nisim. he thinks the whole thing's a bunch of nonsense he knows the truth the man's a charlatan he's a fake he's a fraud he pretends to be a god and he goes into the river nile to do his bathroom Every morning, because he doesn't want people to see him doing it, because he wants them to believe that he's a god, but he knows what he's doing. He knows the whole thing is fake. He knows that he's not a god. He knows that, in which case, he doesn't believe in an almighty god and an omnipotent god, in a Hakodesh Baruchu, in a Rabbeinah Shel Olam He doesn't believe in any such thing. Now, he's brought them to a situation. Where they've given up any hope of being redeemed, even though they believe in Nisim. <speaking> in <Hebrew> this is, by the way, is a powerful thing that Paray did. He managed to convince the Jewish people that, that what they do believe in, they shouldn't believe in. He managed to convince them. He managed to undermine the very foundation of what it means to be a Jew. He managed to achieve that objective. <laughs> of course, he's not going to listen to Moshe Because he's a fake and a fraud. And he doesn't believe in God. They believe in God now. They don't believe in God. He never believed in God. Why would he believe in God now? <laughs> How is Paro ever going to believe in it? <laughs> and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu in his Kalva To God, said to God, by the way, but wasn't it Moshe didn't believe? Moshe is just saying to God, what do you need me for? You brought me here under false pretenses. You put me in front of Parai. You said that somehow my intervention in front of Parai is going to make a difference. It's never going to make any difference. You want to redeem the Jewish people. You don't need me. Just do it yourself and that's fine. My involvement here is absolutely immaterial. Do what you have to do and just take me out of the picture. Says God to Parai. Af Actually, there was a great purpose in Moshe's involvement, as became evident later on. Moshe Rabbeinu was, in fact, a foundational figure. In the redemption of the Jewish people and in leading them out of slavery and in ensuring their identity was solid and proper. Of course, at this stage, he didn't understand it. But Hashem, who created the circumstances, he created this whole backdrop. He knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was the right person to lead the Jewish people. But now we understand the Kalvachimeh. One last thing before we end. That how did Hashem respond in the next Posuk? As to what Moshe Rabbeinu should do, he said He said to them, don't give up, never give up Go to the Jewish people and tell them, instruct them You've got to enforce this idea and go to Pare. And go and enforce, It's not or even V'Yetzaveim of Bnei Israel that God will redeem the Jewish people from Egypt even in the face of every level of misery go to the Bnei Israel, convince them and go to, the, to Parai and convince him and get him to do it it can be done and I will make it happen even when things don't seem like they're going to happen there's complete and utter darkness There will be a pinpoint of light that will become uh, the daylight of the ge'ulah. And it began with Yetzirah Mitzrayim and Amit Hashem. Uh, One day, in the not too distant future, it will be the ge'ulah shleimah of yameinu. Thank you so much. Thank you.